Well, according to a recent survey, uh, 48% of all people, so about half of us here this morning, are ashamed of our mobile phone. <laughs> Emily, uh, mobile phones are becoming increasingly important as status symbols. More and more people are actually admitting that one of the first things they notice about another person is the sort of phone that they own. And 48% of us feel embarrassed that the phone we own just isn't cool enough. <laughs> Friends, I have experienced this. Uh, I was sitting in a hipster little cafe in Sydney last year and I was already feeling very conspicuous because uh, everyone else was so young and so trendy and the girl serving me noticed my mobile phone <laughs> sitting on the table and said something along the lines of, wow, I've never seen a phone like that before. That is so old. <laughs> Does that even work? And I admit, I felt embarrassed, which really annoyed me because I love this phone. It, it can make phone calls and text. <laughs> and it even has this very neat little inbuilt torch to it. And yet, at that moment, I felt ashamed. Hey, don't judge me. You would have felt ashamed as well if, well, 48% of you would have anyway. <laughs> have you ever felt ashamed of the gospel? Now, have you ever been in a group of people, you've ever been in a crowd, and you've actually just felt a little too embarrassed to mention that you're a Christian? Maybe a little too awkward to say anything about Jesus in a conversation, even though there was a perfect opportunity to say something. Friends, this morning we're starting, as Al said, a series in the book of Romans. And we're going to discover this year that Romans has some very, very, very big theological ideas in it. And yet behind all the big theological ideas, the driving force behind it all is actually quite a very simple one. It is the thought that the gospel is nothing to be ashamed of. Which is exactly what the Apostle Paul says in the first bit of verse 16 of today's reading. Chapter 1, verse 16, the Apostle Paul simply puts it out there. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, for all the twists and turns that the rest of the book is going to take us in, that simple seven-word statement, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's actually a pretty good insight into why Romans was written in the first place. As the Apostle Paul writes to Christians living in Rome, living in the capital city of the then massive Roman Empire, writing to Christians that he's never met before, but he'd love to meet them in person because he wants to fully teach them about the gospel, but until he can get to meet them in person, he writes off this, this majestic letter, so that they might fully know the gospel as soon as possible. Because one thing's for sure, he's certainly not ashamed of it. All of which raises two obvious questions. What precisely is this gospel that Paul is unashamed of? And, and why exactly is he so unashamed of it? And hey, in some ways, that's, that's what the whole rest of the letter is about. Uh, but here in the opening section, and especially in those first six verses before he even 
uh, explains who he's writing the letter to. In that early section, what you do is you get some very early summary statements thrown out that give us an insight into what this gospel is and why he's so unashamed of it. Firstly, for example, what exactly is this gospel? Because the word gospel, it's not a particularly religious word. Uh, the word gospel simply means good news. It means important news. You know, And so for me personally, the Iron Man 3 movie comes out in about a week and a half. To me, that's a bit of a gospel. It's good news and it's important news. But when the Apostle Paul uses the word gospel, he's not thinking of Iron Man 3. He's got some particular piece of news in mind. You can tell what it is if you just keep re- in verse 1. Sorry, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he proclaimed beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, regarding, verse 3, his son. Now, do you hear that critical phrase at the beginning of verse 3? The gospel that Paul has in mind, the news that he is not ashamed of, it's news regarding God's son. The gospel is good, important news about Jesus. Now, you might think that that's self-evident, but I don't think it is to a lot of people. A lot of people don't join this dot when they think about Christianity. For a lot of people, Christianity is about keeping the Ten Commandments. Uh, Christianity is about going to church on, on a Sunday. Christianity is about doing the right thing. For example, listen to how one guy described being a Christian. This is a fellow in, South Australia, in Western Australia who a few years back found out that he was an English earl. Uh, he was pretty excited about this discovery of his new title. Here's what he had to say. Certainly I'm proud of it. It's an old and honourable title, but I think I live up to it. I was brought up pretty strictly by my grandfather. He told me, never do anything you'd be ashamed of and treat others as you'd like to be treated and you'll be as good a Christian as any man. In my life, I've done what I could. I'd done what I thought was best. You can't do anything more than that. Now, did you hear that? Do your best. Never do anything you'll be ashamed of. Treat others as you would like to be treated and you'll be as good a Christian as any man. No mention of Jesus in there at all. And that is how a lot of people think, that Christianity is about being good and keeping the golden rule. And Paul is very precise here. The Christian gospel is not about us living a moral life. The Christian gospel is important good news about a person, Jesus Christ. It's actually called Christianity for a reason. Who would have guessed But, of course, it's a little simplistic to just say the gospel is news regarding Jesus and leave it at that. What news in particular about Jesus? Well, we just got to keep reading. Verse 1 again, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, regarding his son, who as to his worthy life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I want you to notice what Paul is emphasising in verses 3 and 4, that Jesus is a king. He's a descendant of King David, which puts him in in the royal lineage of Israel. But not only that, Jesus is also declared to be the Son of God. And by Son of God here, Paul is referring to Jesus being the Messiah, being the Christ being God's chosen king, all through the Old Testament. That's what that phrase, son of God, was associated with. 
Now, I know Jesus is also the Son of God in the sense of the whole Trinity thing, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And as true as all that is, that's not what Paul's getting at here. He's on about Jesus being God's appointed king and being declared as God's king by no less a person than the Spirit of God himself through Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And so Jesus is a king by human lineage, but he's also a king by divine declaration, which makes Jesus a king among kings, which is basically what he says at the end of verse 4. Jesus Christ, our Lord, King Jesus, our King. Uh, which, if you think about it, it's quite a declaration in a letter being sent to the church at Rome. Rome being the capital city of the empire. This is the hometown of the Roman emperor. And Paul says, I want to tell you the important and good news about another emperor. An emperor of emperors. King Jesus, our king. Whom I am not ashamed of even if it's going to get him into a bit of trouble with that other inferior king who happens to be living in Rome. But it's not only the news that Jesus is king, and so also in verse 5 he says, through him and for his namesake we receive grace and apostleship to call all of the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. Now part of this important news about King Jesus is that there is, notice that phrase, an obedience that comes from faith. Now, my friends, this is an intriguing phrase. Obedience that comes from faith. What exactly does that mean? Presumably, it's obedience to King Jesus. But how does obedience to King Jesus come through faith? Obedience to most kings comes from fearing the consequences if you don't obey them. This sounds different. Different. This is an obedience to a king, not primarily because you fear him, but primarily because you have faith in him. How does that work? Well, watch this space, okay? As Romans progresses throughout the year, this idea of obedience to King Jesus through faith, this idea is going to get a lot of airtime. Remember, we're only at the start of the letter. What Paul is doing here is he's throwing out summary statements about what the gospel is so as to tease us a little to keep reading. And so for this morning, I just actually want you to notice it and file it away. Obedience that comes through faith. It's a very exciting thing that we're going to hear a lot more about in the letter. Uh, But because we're going to hear a lot more about it, let's keep moving. Because in these opening verses, Paul is not only throwing out teasers as to what the gospel is, There's going to be a lot more to say about that as the letter goes on. He's also throwing out a couple of great teasers as to why he is so unashamed of it. Look at verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because, you see, because, here's reason number one as to why he isn't ashamed of the news regarding Jesus. It's because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Last week, uh, scientists in Spain announced that they have discovered how to reprogram leukemia cells so that they transform back into normal cells. And so rather than now have to destroy cancer cells with massive doses of chemotherapy or radiotherapy, uh, these scientists reckon that they can now turn cancer cells back into normal cells again. 
And they are very excited about this. They're throwing as many press conferences as they possibly can. They're shooting off articles to as many magazines as they can. They're certainly not ashamed of it because this could save thousands. And Paul is not ashamed of the news regarding Jesus because God saves people with this news. Now, what we need saving from is, of course, what Al was sharing with the uh, children a bit earlier. We need to be saved from God's judgment. All of us stand condemned before God because we just don't treat him the way he deserves. And Paul's going to have to say a lot about that next week. But when people hear and believe the important good news about Jesus, God saves them. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone, actually, who believes. And Paul is quite adamant about the fact that it's everyone who believes. First for the Jew, sure, because Jesus came as the Jewish Messiah, but it's also for the Gentiles, as the NIV puts it. We'll come back to that for a tip. For now, though, Paul wants to keep going on because not only is it the power of God to save people, he wants to offer us a second reason as to why he's not ashamed of the gospel, and that is because the gospel, the news regarding Jesus, reveals the righteousness of God. Verse 17. For, because, here's the second reason, in the God, uh, why he's not ashamed, in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Okay, now, sorry about this, but we're going to need to pause a little bit over this verse because, unfortunately, the NIV, or the 1984 NIV, which is what most of us have, I suspect, and also what the um, church Bibles are, it gets this verse wrong. Uh, If you've got one of those, it uses the phrase, a righteousness from God, and that sounds like it's a righteousness that comes from God to us. And that's certainly something that does exist because of Jesus. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. A much better translation is the righteousness of God. If you've got a church Bible and you've got a pen, you have permission to actually change that. It's not righteousness from God, it's righteousness of God. That's what the newest version of the NIV has. It's what the ESV has. It's what the New American Standard has. It's what the good old King James has. Because you see, verse 17, and we've got to get this straight, it's not describing a righteousness that we receive from God. It's talking about the righteousness of God himself. Verse 17 is talking about how the goodness of God, how the justice of God, how the rightness of God is revealed through the gospel by faith. From first to last. Okay? In other words, God's righteousness, God's goodness, you hear this? God's goodness is not displayed by us having to do good works. God's justice and goodness and righteousness is not displayed by us having to keep religious rules and regulations. God is seen to be just and good and in the right by saving us through faith and only through faith from first to last. Now, this is an important thing that Paul wants the uh, Romans to understand because, you see, for the Jews in Rome, the gospel, the news regarding Jesus, could be interpreted as a fickleness on God's part. 
I mean, after all those promises in the Old Testament about Israel being God's chosen people, why after all those promises does God now turn around and give the opportunity for everyone who believes to be saved, Jew and Gentile alike? Where's the consistency in that? Well, Paul wants to nip this thought in the bud and so he says up front, hey, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because far from revealing the fickleness of God, it actually reveals the righteousness of God. Because faith in the gospel, faith trusting the news regarding Jesus Christ, it's not only the way God saves us, but the fact is that the way that he saves us also says a lot about God himself. It displays his righteousness. And with that, Paul is off and running. As for another 15 and a half chapters, Paul is going to tease all of this out in much more detail. Because, look, I realise there's lots of ideas compressed into these first 17 verses. Okay, Obedience through faith. Uh, the righteousness of God as opposed to the righteousness from God. Uh, salvation coming by faith to now everyone who believes, Jew and Gentile. Friends, these are all very big ideas in their own right. The Apostle Paul is putting down some very deep foundations here. And if it hasn't gelled yet, that's okay. Uh, if there's actually questions now buzzing around in your head, that's okay. This is only the start of the letter, Okay. He's throwing all these summary statements into this introduction as a teaser for us. It's all going to get fleshed out as we keep going. But for now, perhaps the main thing just to go away with this morning is the simple but profound thought that's driving all of this. Guys, the gospel is nothing to be ashamed of. No matter who you're talking to, we ought not to feel embarrassed. We ought not to feel intimidated. We ought not to feel apologetic to talk about Jesus. And that's something that comes out in today's text by virtue, and I'll finish with this one, by virtue of all the different categories that get mentioned in these opening verses. Because, you see, for the Apostle Paul, he was brought up in a world that thought of the world in two main categories, Jew and Gentile. So, here is a picture of the Apostle Paul's world. Jew and Gentile, Gentile being non-Jews by definition. And so everyone in the world is either one or the other, by definition. Hands up any Jews here this morning. By definition, we are all Gentiles. That is just how the world operates. But within the Gentiles... Paul also deals with two subcategories of either Greek or non-Greek. Or if you've got an ESV, it translates it Greek and barbarian. And by that, Paul means either cultured or uncultured Gentiles. That the Greeks, they were the educated ones. They were the sophisticated ones. They were the civilised ones. Whereas the non-Greeks, the barbarians, they were just the degenerate hordes. They were the uncouth rabble. They were the immoral, uneducated Gentiles who were just into eating, sleeping and having sex. And it's worth tracing through how all these different categories play out in this morning's reading. 
And so, for example, if you look at verse 5, Paul says there that as an apostle, he's on about telling all Gentiles about Jesus. And then down in verse 13, he repeats that idea by saying he wants to tell the Romans all about Jesus, just as he's done among the Gentiles. So that's pretty clear. He wants everyone, even the non-Jews, hey, especially the non-Jews, to know this good news about Jesus. But then in verse 14, he gets specific. He says, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks. And then he renames them both to wise and the foolish. And you see what he's doing there? He's amplifying the point about him wanting all the Gentiles to hear this news regarding Jesus. He wants all the different categories of Gentiles to hear about Jesus. Greek, non-Greek, wise, foolish, sophisticated, unsophisticated, educated, uneducated, the moral living ones, the immoral living ones, the cultured ones, the barbarian ones, the ones who watch Artscape on the ABC and the ones who watch the footy show on Win TV. And then in verse 16, he actually gets specific again, which in its naughtiness, the NIV doesn't get right either. Verse 16 actually reads, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Greek. I have no idea why the NIV says Gentile there. It knows the Greek word for Greek because it's just used it in the previous verse. He's Paul is deliberately saying Greek there because he is deliberately targeting the two people, categories of people, who least look like they need saving. You see that? The the non-Greek, the barbarian, the foolish, those guys so obviously need saving. They are corrupt, they are immoral, they are ignorant, Blind Freddy can see they need help, that they need saving. And so Paul doesn't even mention them in verse 16. He goes straight for the Jew and the Greek. He goes for the two categories of people who least look like they need saving. I mean, the Jew, they claim to be one of God's people, so why do they need saving? And the Greek... Well, they claimed to be wise and sophisticated. They were all into philosophy and ideas and they were doing quite well for themselves, thank you very much. Why why would they need saving? It's like when I was a student minister in uh, Rose Bay in Sydney. Uh, Rose Bay is in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. It's a very upmarket area. Uh, I looked up the median house price that's in Rose Bay currently. The median house price is currently running at $5.3 million. It is full of wealthy, self-sufficient, very educated, well-travelled, cultured, high achievers. Door knocking in Rose Bay, let me tell you, is hard work. Not, not only because there's this massive security fence that so you can get near the door in most places, but even when you do, no one thinks they need Jesus. They don't need anything. And the Apostle Paul will be unashamed to door knock in Rose Bay. Because no matter how sophisticated and successful or educated or intimidating someone appears, everyone needs to hear the important news about Jesus. Everyone. You've got people in your life that you need to tell the news regarding Jesus to? 
Have you got some people in your sphere of life that you have never mentioned Jesus to uh, uh, to before because these people just seem a little too smart, a little too intimidating, a little too knowledgeable? These are people whose life is actually looking as if it's in really good shape. These are people who, who actually seem almost too nice to have to need Jesus. Friends, everyone needs to hear the important good news regarding King Jesus. Because this is news that reveals the goodness of God. And it's news that brings salvation to everyone who believes. That is nothing to be ashamed of. Let me pray. Father, we want to thank you for this letter to the Romans and for the things that you have in store for us within it. But this morning, we'd like to ask that by your word and your spirit, we would be gripped anew with a confidence and a boldness and a sensitivity still to talk to our friends and those people in the spheres of our life about Jesus. Father, could we ask maybe even in this week that you would give us opportunity to talk about Jesus to someone who we've never talked to about Jesus before. And Father, please fill us with a confidence in your gospel and the, and the need for everyone we know to hear about your son. Amen.